0: all right good morning everybody this morning we'll be in second chronicles chapter seven if you want to turn there in your bible seven is Isn't this a great jacket this is how i'm going to get rid of the lost and found stuff i'm just going to wear it up here (laughs) and if you don't take it, it it just gets assimilated into my wardrobe just so you're aware this is what happens so anyway nice jacket it fits really nice I might go cowboy, and I'm warning you, I might really go cowboy. I ordered, well, Christmas presents are coming, and I I may even get a Stetson. Might. So, even though I'm not a horseman or a cattle guy, I want to be. So, anyway, that jacket's going to be sitting right here, if that belongs to anybody. You're welcome to come up and grab it. Today, after uh, second service, uh, two to 12-year-olds will be practicing, um, for the Christmas program that's uh, December 20th. So we have a few weeks for that. So if your kids are interested in being a part of that, um, they're welcome to join them for that. Is that after second service or is that in between? After second. second. Okay, I didn't know. All right. Well, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. We did. Um, We were just talking in the bathroom about how our tables need to get a little bit longer as we get older. And uh, that's exciting to To have that problem, that we need more leaves in there, you know, to make those tables bigger. But we set up a second table, and it was just wonderful um, to have all those little ones around. And um, I hope yours was good too. Hope you enjoyed it. Solomon dedicates the temple. Of course, he has been dedicating the temple throughout Chronicles, um, these last few chapters. But this is where God comes down and consumes. Uh, He consumes the, the sacrifice, which means we know it's accepted. And he's pleased and he's already shown up. We know that from last week as he came into the temple and the smoke of the Lord, or the cloud filled the temple. And um, that continues on that same thought to the point where the priests have to leave. Because not only could they not continue the service, but they couldn't even stay in the in the in the temple anymore. Verse one, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Good response to God showing up. And this is a beautiful time in Israel's history. And we've of course, talked about that and watched this beautiful pinnacle right after David does all the battle, all the war and prepares Solomon, his son, gets to sit and rule over a kingdom of peace. Um, it was such a, a wonderful time. And as they've been getting this temple prepared, we've been um, comparing it to our walk with Jesus as we prepare our, the body, the temple of the Holy Spirit and begin to move in the furnishings of God and make sure there's nothing profane left in our hearts um, this is the culmination of that, where God enters and fills uh, his temple with his Holy Spirit. Likewise, he fills us with the Holy Spirit. The dedication has taken place. The, the house is built. It's designed just for him. It's been consecrated, set apart. And then the Holy Spirit fills the temple. And that's our prayer, is that the Holy Spirit would fill us frequently and often, and uh, <coughs> that he would never stop. Um, there's there's nothing worse than seeing a, an empty temple, you know. Um, it doesn't do any good. It's for looks only. It's for appearances. And we'll read that here later on as God gives Israel a warning of of uh, the majesty and the beauty of the temple. is nothing compared to the obedience of the people. And so they bow down and they say, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And that's how they praise and worship the Lord. And those are good words to come off of our lips also. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good, but he's also, he's merciful. And I need to remember that in my own life as we tend to beat ourselves up a lot. And, and probably rightly so, because we, should, we know better a lot of times. And we still continue to sin and it frustrates us, but it never surprises God. Although he's not happy with my sin, he has mercy that endures forever for us. And that's encouraging to me. In my frustration, to receive that mercy is a humble thing. And it's humbling every time. And and that's mainly the problem. And that's mainly where my frustration comes from, is from my own pride. I guess I thought I'd be better by now. I thought I'd have this down by now. I thought, I, 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 I. And God says, no, you're going to need me till the day you die. My mercies endure forever for a reason. And he reminds us of that frequently. Frequently. My mercies are new every morning. And I, I trust in that. Verse four, then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. That's the result of this beautiful moment when God fills his temple is that all the people begin to worship too, which is where we're going to get our next gigantic numbers from. They look almost unbelievable and it's possible that they're off. I don't know, but I'm going to just go with it because it doesn't matter whether they're off or not. Sometimes in numbers, when they do uh, translations, they add a zero, take away a zero. That's why you'll see some discrepancies between kings and, and chronicles as far as the number of people that were killed or the number of soldiers involved. It's because there's uh, zeros are dropped, basically, or added. Makes no difference. The point is, whatever the number is, we'll just believe God's word as it stands, it's huge for a reason. It's not just Solomon offering up the praises anymore. All the people have joined in too. They want in on this. And that, that's kind of the, the desire of God always in our lives, is that as we offer up our sacrifices, and as small or as large as they are, others want to join in too. It makes them thirsty for the Lord, hungry for the Lord. It makes them desire to have what you have or what I have. What is this peace you have? What is this relationship you have with God? He's always been a, a religious figure or a ceremonial God. But you, you act different than anybody else I've ever seen when they talk about Jesus. You talk about him, well, like you know him. You know, I want to know him. And I want him to know me. There's something exciting about that. And so as the people see the temple being filled, all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. Now, some say, well, that's really supposed to be 2,200 and 1,200 sheep or 1,000, let's see, 1,000, yeah, 1,200 sheep and 1,200 uh, bulls or whatever is the idea. Or, or yeah, it doesn't matter, 2,200 bulls and 2, uh, 1,200 sheep. No, it's It's not. Um, it's very possible that all of these are being brought by the people. Hey, I want to sacrifice for my family. I want to sacrifice for me. I'm by myself. I want in on this. I mean, as long as we've got God's attention, let me bring him something of mine. And that's what this truly is. Sacrifices are not extra or something. They're, they cost. There's value to them. And they bring these bulls and they bring these sheep to offer up alongside um, of the sacrifice that's already been consumed by God that continue this act of worship. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And the priests attended to their services, the Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, saying, For his mercy endures forever, whenever David offered praise by their ministry. The priests sounded the trumpets opposite them, while all Israel stood. That's out of respect. They would stand and sing songs and so on. Furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord, for the for there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat. And that's why we believe these numbers are accurate. I mean, part of me is like... And maybe you're like this, too. It's like, I thought we weren't supposed to offer any place but other than the bronze altar. The Bible says so there. And then they're saying they're doing this in the middle of the court. I'm not so sure. Missing the point entirely. God is not disappointed with the fact that they have so much to offer God that the bronze altar that they designed was not capable of handling all the praise and worship that he was getting. You can't outdo it. You know, you can't outdo the Lord. He's not saying, oh, that's enough. You're, you're outside of my bounds when it comes to praise and worship and and dedicating your life to the Lord, I really don't know that you can go too far. And so they begin to do this and they begin to offer these things up now part of these some of these offerings are actually, And I do not mean to be disrespectful, but oftentimes much like a barbecue in the sense that the people get to partake in part of the offering. It's not just left for the Lord. It's shared with God. He would get the good parts or, you know, the best parts. And then the the people would share, which gets us into the next section here where it says, And at that time, Solomon kept the feast seven days. All Israel is there dedicating the temple and they're offering up all these bulls and nobody wants to go home. They're thoroughly enjoying this time with God, thoroughly enjoying the time with each other, this time of peace, celebration. Man, it's nice not having Philistines breathing down our backs for a while, you know? And our God is in our presence, and I don't want to leave it. And so they just kept the feast going for seven days. And it's prescribed that way too, don't get me wrong, but they're thoroughly enjoying this. It says so. All Israel with him with a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly for, the, to, um, for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done for David and for Solomon and for his people Israel. They all go home happy, you know. Full of joy. Had to send them home. You know, It's been a, a, a great feast. Now, th- those are some wonderful holidays right there. I don't like Thanksgiving being one day long, and I don't like Christmas being one day long, and I'm here to put it on record. I like it. I enjoy it. I like setting up Christmas trees. Last night we did ours. We waited till after Thanksgiving, as the law says. And we decorated our house. It's not complete, but we're getting there. Wreaths still need to go on the windows and some other things need to be added. But for the most part, Christmas celebration has begun at our house. And we have, Mariah has a lot to do with that. She's the one saying, we're doing this Saturday, right? We're doing this Saturday, right? Fine, we're doing it Saturday, you know. Kids get it. These guys are for 14 days or more celebrating the Lord, just having a joyous time with each other, and join their God, and um, we need to take more time, not less. We need to take more time, not less, with each other, with our families, with uh, alone time with God, all of that, more, not less. And the world will tell you the exact opposite. We need less time, more work kind of thing. No, <laughs> I have plenty of work to do, plenty, and there will be, you know, and it's going to produce thorns according to Genesis, and so, Enjoy these times and take these times. Um, you're not being lazy. You don't have to be productive during the holidays. You can be just thoroughly enjoying each other in the Lord. Take that time. So he sends him, a ho- sends him home happy. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. And Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make, the, to, to make in the house of the Lord and his own house. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, the second time he showed up, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. We use that scripture a lot. It's been coming up a lot lately. The beauty of what God's doing here, it it seems like, um, as as you first read it, boy, they went away happy, Solomon's rejoicing, and then God says, and by the way, when I I bring drought because of your sin, when I bring this pestilence because of your sin or whatever, why do we got to talk about sin right now? Just kind of enjoying this. This is the most loving thing our God has ever done for us, and that's to tell us what is keeping us from a full, beautiful relationship with Him. And as Christians, we need to understand that too that as we talk about sin in our lives or in other people's lives, that's from love. That's what's keeping people from the deepest walk they could possibly have with the Lord. To gloss over those things or to think that they don't matter is to be. Well, self-centered and selfish because you don't want to have that conflict. You don't want to have that moment with them of truth. Truth is love. I mean, I know God is love, but to be truthful is God's attribute. He cannot do anything but be truthful. And for us to pretend that our God who died on the cross for our sins didn't is to ask him, first of all, to be something that he's not. It's not a very loving response to him because we don't want to carry the torch, because we don't want the heat, because we don't want people to think ill of us. We don't want them to think we're judgmental. Well, that's not fair. It's not right. It's not, it's, not, it's not beautiful. It's not loving towards our God. The right thing to do is what God's doing right here. I am so glad we're at this place right now, God would say to Solomon. I'm so glad that we're here. Let's stay here. Here's how you stay here, Solomon. When you sin is basically what the first 12 verses 12 and 13 are saying. When you do things that are wrong and I need to respond because that's who I am and what's best for you. Here's your way back to me. If my people who are called by my name experiencing all these things he just mentioned, if they'll humble themselves, that's true humility. Not lip service, true humility. And pray, not out loud, but privately, and they seek my face. And here's the most important part, I believe, because all of it's disingenuous unless you do this part and turn from their wicked ways. We can't expect our lives to go on blessed and abundant when we're walking in sin. We just can't and shouldn't. And it's ridiculous for us to think that. God, I want to live the way I want to live, and I want all the blessings attached to to obedience. I don't want any of the headache of disobedience. I don't want any of the consequences of disobedience to me, to to you. I want my life to continue as it should so that I may live like I want. That doesn't, that's a horrible thought process. So God lays it out. Just turn from your wicked ways. They're they're wicked. Your ways are wicked, he says, when I have to do these things. It's not okay. It's not medium. It's not sort of. They're completely wicked and they have to be turned from. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive sin and heal their land. God's not going to heal any lands, any lives, until there's some change that takes place. That has to happen. We receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's how we start our walk. We dedicate our lives to him and give them over to him because we realize that we need a God who will forgive and has mercies forever. And we offer up the sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world for our sins. But we also know that we're going to occasionally continue to sin. God doesn't save us with Jesus, that sacrifice, and let us continue on in a life of sinning. He saves us to, to change us, to conform us into his image. Very important. And so I may commit adultery or I may steal or I may commit murder. And for me to expect just because I have applied the blood of Jesus Christ to my life that I'm not going to jail or that I haven't completely ruined my relationship with my spouse. It's ignorant and we don't want to be that. I have to turn from my wicked ways. I have to stop doing what I'm doing if I want him to hear from heaven, if I want him to heal my land, whatever that may be. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I, as, a, as I covenanted with David, your father. Saying, you shall not fail to have a man as a ruler in Israel. That wasn't just a blanket promise. That was a promise with some conditions attached to it. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And will make it a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. I didn't bless you, Israel, just to bless you. I blessed you because we're working on something here. We have a relationship. It's a a give and take. We're, We're doing these things. I've given you the land. What are you going to do with the land is the idea. God has set us free from our sin. What are we going to do? That's the question. Are we going to run back to our sin even though chains have been taken off and that we're no longer bound to our sin anymore? Will we choose willfully to walk into those things? Or will we truly be set free and walk away from them? He warns the nation of Israel, if I see you going back to these things and you stop worshiping me and start worshiping other gods, that's spiritual adultery. I'll uproot you. I mean, plain as day, I'll just pull you up by the roots and put you someplace else. I'll transplant you out of here. I won't let you defile this place. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it after they're uprooted, after they're gone, if these things should go south, if their relationship with God should go south, they're going to be astonished and they're going to say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and this house? Remember, temple is beautiful. That's all they can talk about. That's all the world can talk about. It's the most glorious thing anybody's ever seen. It's magnificent. It's awesome. The glory of the Lord has filled this place. But he's filled it for a reason. It's not because it's made of gold. It's because they built this out of obedience and because it's a promise to worship him. If that worship ceases, if they stop being obedient, he has no reason to be there anymore then. You're worshiping other gods. Why am I here? Holding on. So if I uproot you, people are going to walk by and say, why would God do such a thing to this great land and this great house? I mean, was it not nice enough for him is the implication. Are they going to look at it and say, I mean, what did the people do to deserve him leaving? I mean, it's a pretty nice house. I don't know why God would want to move someplace else is the idea. And then they will answer and say, because they, the people forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt And they embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. God doesn't care about the gold. He doesn't care about the basins and all those things. I mean, he does because it's what he's asked them to do. But that's not why he stays, because he's so attached to the items. It's the people. And the people have gone in him. Just look at how he words this. They've forsaken the Lord. They've walked away from what he has to offer them and his beauty and his magnificence. And they've embraced other gods, embraced. They're hugging other gods. They're entangled with other gods physically. They're they're pulling them in close in an intimate relationship with them is the idea. They're embracing other gods and they're worshiping them. Giving them, these other little gods, the credit for the things in their lives. Asking these other little gods for answers to their questions and their problems, for direction even. And then they serve them. They're serving these little gods. It's a progression, but it's all in one, too. They've forsaken the Lord. They embraced other gods. They're worshiping these other gods. Now they're serving these other gods. And God says, well... And they expect him to continue to do what he's always done. As he's been moved to the servants' quarters of their lives, a genie in the bottle, if you will, come out and help me whenever I need it. Otherwise, stay put, and I'm going to live my life the way I want to. God says, no, I won't won't be in that position. Our continual walk with Jesus as believers, if we're going to make this connection, it's how we finish. A lot of people have started off well and had that moment where they've sanctified their lives and got water baptized and committed to the Lord and their life seemed to get straightened out. But it's a marathon. It's a continual walk with the Lord all the way till the day they die. And if anywhere along there, they decide to just, well, just I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to lead anymore. I'm not going to be a part of it anymore. I'm just gonna, it's just easier to just give in and succumb to this world. They can't expect God to continue. They can't wonder why their life has then fallen apart. The house was so beautiful. Their family was all together. Their marriage was so strong. Their kids were walking with the Lord. Their job was there. They looked like they were financially stable. They were leading young men and young women to the Lord and all these things. It's a beautiful thing. And all of a sudden, that all stopped. That's because all of that was because of their relationship with Jesus. And now they've stopped that relationship with Jesus. You can't expect that picture to continue. Like I said, we're going to be a proverb either way with our lives. A good one or a bad one. But either way, people will learn what it's like to either walk with the Lord or to not walk with the Lord. And my life is an example of that. I would prefer it be a good proverb my whole life. I think the first step in, in attaining that is to know why I have a blessed life, why my life looks like it does. And it is not because I've got a bunch of wisdom or I've got it all figured out. It's because I'm walking with Jesus day by day. Jenny and I are hoping to make some changes in the spring. Personal decisions we've made, and we don't know why. We're not leaving. We're staying there. We're pastoring the church. We're doing all that stuff. Um, that's not going to change at all. But some other things in our lives we We're hoping to change, and we get this leading of the Lord in that direction. And as we look around us, we're trying to figure out, well, I wonder if we're going to go this. I wonder if the nation or the country is going to go in this direction or if the country is going to go in that direction. I wonder how it's all going to work out. And you kind of, you you read the news for today. It looks like we're going over here. Oh, that's bad news. looks like we're going over here. And you're kind of, as you read, you just can't tell. And, and what a great lesson for me or that I've learned is that I know what God is leading us to do in the spring, which tells me the answer to this question, which way the country is going to go. I don't have to wonder anymore. I don't know for a fact. I don't see evidence of these things, but I know that my leading is this direction, and it's for a reason. It's for a reason. That's walking in the Spirit. I don't go by Breitbart. I don't go by those other news networks. I don't go by MSNBC or CNN. I don't, I don't believe, I, I don't go by those things. I don't live my life according to their daily litmus test of our country's pH balance. I just don't. But I do pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And when I feel the Lord leading me, I'm just going to go in that direction and trust that He obviously knows what's happening or what's going to happen. And so I'm going in that direction. I, I'm led that way. I don't want that to ever change. Whether I'm 50 or 51 or, or 81 or whatever, I always want to be led by the Spirit, not by my own wisdom. And God's called them to that. Stay with me. Don't forsake me in my wisdom. Don't embrace other gods. Don't worship them. Don't serve them. Chapter 8. It will come to pass at the end of 20, or it came to pass at the end of 20 years, when Solomon had built the house of the Lord in his own house, that the cities which Hiram had given to Solomon, Solomon built them. And he settled the children of Israel there. And Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and seized it. He also built Tadmor in the wilderness and all the storage cities which he built in Hamath. He built upper beth Horon and lower beth Horon, fortified cities with walls, gates, and bars. Also Bala and all the storage cities that Solomon had and all the chariot cities and the cities of the cavalry, and all that Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion, begins to set up a really good infrastructure for his for his nation. Putting the chariots here and there, cavalry here, cavalry cavalry there, um, and so on. Storage cities, keeping it all separate, not in one. You know, not all your eggs in one basket is the idea behind this. Just good wisdom. All the people who were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, who were not of Israel. Interesting he puts it that way. Now these are people that were supposed to be evicted when Israel came in through Joshua and the conquering of the land, but made deals or different things had happened to where they stayed, and they had not become Israel. Because you could. You could become Israel. You were in the outer courts for sure but you could still worship as a Gentile in the house of the Lord. These were those that were not, they were continuing to do what they do with their gods, which is always a danger and was a danger. And it wasn't supposed to be that way. But when he found all them from these, Solomon raised forced labor, as it is to this day, you're going to stay in our country. You're not going to assimilate. You're not going to become, then this is what you're going to do. You're going to work for us. But Solomon did not make the children of Israel servants for his work. Some were men of war, Captains of his officers, captains of his chariots and his cavalry, and others were chiefs of the officials of King Solomon, 250 who ruled over the people, setting up a a good government there, a good administration, good way for much like what Moses had to do in the wilderness to allow other people to lead and to uh, take on some of the responsibilities and, and some of the problems that would come along with ruling such a great nation. Now Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David to the house he had built for her. For he said, my wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. There's a little admission of guilt there. Remember, we saw that progression with making deals with Egypt and trying to get their horses and so on, all of a sudden he finds himself marrying the daughter of Egypt, even though she has no interest in becoming Israeli or worshiping the God of Israel. And him knowing that, and she's sitting in Jerusalem now, and he's like, you know, you ought not be here. It's not right for you to be here in this place of all places, because this is where the house of the Lord is, the ark is, and you're not interested in any of this stuff. So you need to leave this. So he built her a house someplace else. Now, that doesn't solve the problem, but you can see his just awareness, I think, through this section right here, that he's made a mistake, that he shouldn't have brought an unbeliever into his house, first of all, shouldn't have married her. But now that he has, he needs to make allowances for it and change things and put her over here in a different house so that the place isn't defiled. That's sacrificial in its own way. I know that this is wrong. And I know this is going to hurt the people if she stays. I know that the worship of God is going to be hindered by this. I know prayers can be hindered by this. I know what I've done is a mistake. I'm going to move her out and get her over here. He doesn't divorce her, doesn't throw her out. But he does make sure that it doesn't affect the nation as much as it probably would if she stayed. Then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord, which he had built before the vestibule, according to the daily rate. Offering according to the commandment of Moses for the Sabbaths, the new moons, the three appointed yearly feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are the three. And according to the order of David, his father, he appointed the divisions of the priests for their service. So they would have a rotation. Um, The Levites for their duties to praise and to serve before the priest as the duty of each day required. And the gatekeepers by their divisions at the gate, For so David, the man of God, had commanded. They did not depart from the command of the king uh, to the priests and Levites concerning any matter concerning the treasuries. Those are going to continue. And so the maintenance begins. The walk begins. The mountaintop is over. The filling of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is dwelling there. And now we need to perpetually worship. And that's what's happening. Now all the work of Solomon was well-ordered from the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was completed. Then Solomon went to Ezion, Geber, and uh, it's actually probably Ezion, um, and it may be actually, well, we'll just call it that, Ezion, Geber, and Elath on the sea coast in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent him ships by the hand of his servants and servants who knew the sea. They went with the servants of Solomon to Ophir, and acquired 450 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. Now, we won't get into Queen Sheba. We're going to save that for next week. Queen Sheba is an interesting character, and it's, uh, we're not sure where she's from, actually. There's a couple places we think. Could have been Arab, could have been from Ethiopia. We're not sure exactly. But she's an interesting, an interesting character here. She says that when she saw all the things of the Lord, um, there was no more spirit in her and I, and I, and for the first time as I was reading that I was going to go over that chapter today but I, I just 10 minutes doesn't won't, won't cut it we can't get chapter 9 done um, no more spirit in her she's spirited she came in there with kind of an attitude is the idea and I know I'm giving you a, a little bit of it but because she comes in, she starts questioning him, starts asking him tough questions about, you know, see if his wisdom is really what it says it is. She's coming to check the place out to see if it's really as golden as everybody says it is, you know. Is it really as wealthy? And when she does all of this, there's no more spirit in her. She's got her answers, you know. And and I'll leave you with that. Because sometimes when I'm ministering to people, I, I don't like their... I don't know what the right word is. I better be careful. <laughs> you know I was basically like. I know what you're going to say. Arrogance, maybe, is a better way, or their fi- fight that's in them. Um, but when the Lord gets a hold of someone like that, there's no more spirit in them as they realize, wow, I didn't think there were answers to those questions. I thought I was going to dupe you know, him, God, or you. I thought I was going to win this. I thought you, because everybody else I've ever talked to has never been able to answer these questions. And as you take them to God's word and you answer their questions one by one, it's interesting to watch that fall, that spirit, that fight and turn into submission and humility. And so I want to encourage you in that because I think we all have people like that in our lives or at different times in our lives. We have people like that, that have a lot of fight, a lot of spirit, think they're going to dupe you, think they're going to get you. And as they realize, first of all, it's not you or me with the answers, as you take them to God's word and you begin to lay things out, no, 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 it's not hypocrisy at all. Let me show you why. No, 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 it's not a contradiction at all. Let let me show you why. Here's, Here's what God's word says. And you let God's word interpret itself. You'll watch those walls fall down, I think. Not every time. Sometimes it's just flat out pride. But if it is just that, she really wanted it to be true. She really wanted to know that there was a true and living God, that there was a king that had wisdom like this because of all the men she's ever met. Haven't been impressed yet, but she was impressed after this. And so a little taste for next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us and um, giving us this place where we can all come together and meet and open your word and study and learn to read things that we've read maybe several times, but maybe get some more. Another, uh, another wonderful truth that maybe we hadn't seen before. We thank you for that. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us, that we would hear the words that you just shared with them about their temple and what needed to happen there, that we would understand that needs to happen in our own hearts. We want you to fill our temple, but we want to make sure it's cleaned and set apart and holy, and, 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 and you're welcome there. We don't want to put you in some corner in our lives. We want to make you, well, we want you to sit on the throne. And so this morning we confess our sins to you. We're sorry for them. We wish they didn't happen. And we we know that there's no other burnt offering that we can offer. What we can offer your son, Jesus, we trust in those new mercies as we started off. New mercies that are endless. We, We humbly come before you and receive those mercies from you. So Lord, help us to continue to be transformed into your son, Jesus, to look like him, to be conformed completely. We pray that today is just one more step closer to that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer before you go, i be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.